0: From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, December 9th. Local rescue crews responded to the scene of a helicopter crash on Mount Tukanikivots in the LaSalle Mountains Thursday morning. The three Wildlife Capture crew members were contracted by the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources. They were tasked with putting GPS collars on mountain goats for an ongoing study. All three members of the crew were not injured in the crash. The helicopter, however, was significantly damaged and is estimated to be a total loss. A witness told first responders they saw a metallic blue helicopter go down in steep terrain on the mountain peak, but they did not see any smoke or fire. Grand and San Juan County Search and Rescue responded to the scene, getting the crew members safely off the mountain by Thursday afternoon. The helicopter is still on the mountain, and public safety crews are currently working out the next steps to retrieve it. In a press release, a spokesperson with the Utah DWR says capturing wildlife in helicopters is a dangerous occupation and that professionals understand the risks involved with their job. The release goes on to say that, quote, Unfortunately, accidents occasionally happen, despite the best efforts to avoid them. The Department of Public Safety is currently investigating the cause of the crash. A new currency is gaining popularity in several states in our region. The company that makes it is using new technology to simplify buying and reselling a precious metal. The Mountain West News Bureau's Wilwaukee reports.
1: Are you a collector yourself? No, if I collect the stuff, I go to business. (laughs) Rick Russell is showing me around his store, Cheyenne Coins. It's near a roofing company, insurance salesman, and taco shop a few blocks from the main drag in Wyoming's capital. Picture a typical pawn shop with glass cases full of collectibles. Knickknacks, all kinds of stuff comes in, right? All these boxes here are Johnny Lightning, Matchbox, Hot Wheels vehicles. Also, coins, nuggets, and bars of precious metals like gold, silver, and platinum. That's one of Russell's biggest businesses. He says since the pandemic started and inflation jumped, more customers are interested in alternative currencies. Since COVID, I've seen, you know, I probably have another 100-plus customers easily that never were in here before and bought gold and silver. And that continues, right, because they're concerned. The problem is, if you have an ounce of gold worth over $1,700, it's pretty hard to break that down and spend it at a store. That's where gold backs come in. It's actual physical gold in the notes. It's not just a promise. Like I said, I've had them in the store, and it clearly tells you on each note how much of a troy ounce of 24-karat gold each note possesses. A Utah company called Goldback makes bills that it says have small amounts of gold in them. Kevin Mills is vice president of sales and marketing at the privately held
2: company. Really, when you're making a Goldback, you're having that transparent layer of plastic or polymer, and you're just laying atom by atom the gold onto that until it's exactly one thousandth of an ounce. That's the
1: smallest denomination, worth about $4. There are also larger bills with more gold in them. The most valuable one costs about 200 bucks. The company started in 2019 after Utah's legislature made it easier to buy and sell them there. Now, goldbacks are issued in four states, including Nevada, Wyoming, and Utah. Mill says the company is just about maxed out in terms of demand.
2: We can't do interviews, we can't do YouTube videos because we only have X number of millions of dollars of supply every month and we're selling it all with no marketing. Mills wants to quintuple Goldback's
1: capacity in the next 18 months and get more states on board. Another goal is to get more businesses to accept them. Currently, more than 500 small businesses in the West, from candy stores to chiropractors, say you can pay for things using Goldbacks. The company also says it uses anti-counterfeit measures to prevent fraud. The question is, are these bills actually worth the hype for consumers? I will take a five then. I just happen to have a pristine, brand spanking new one. To see how it works, I spent $20 at Cheyenne Coins on a bill that says contains 1 200th of an ounce of 24-karat gold. It has a cowgirl and horse etched onto it and is about the size of a normal dollar, but a bit sturdier and definitely prettier. Yes, and you're right. The uh, artwork on them is just awesome. Our current currency just lacks real beauty, unfortunately. One dealer is selling his bill for 26 bucks on eBay, so there could be some collectible value here. But as a store of wealth, Cornell University economics professor Ishwar Prasad studies currencies and says not so
0: fast. By and large, gold has limited um, ability to serve as an inflation hedge. It, too, tends to be affected by
1: macroeconomic variables. To get a gold back, you also pay a hefty premium. And most places still won't accept them. The vending machine at my office spat it back out, and the gas station clerk in my neighborhood looked at me pretty strangely.
0: The reality is that the price of gold has been very volatile. Um, So if you're willing to roll the dice with a small part of your portfolio, maybe it's not such a bad idea. But is it a really durable hedge against inflation? History doesn't show very strong evidence of that.
1: Prasad still didn't reject the idea of goldbacks. He says the company's success will depend on the economic and political environments in the U.S. and how much people trust the government. He also isn't surprised that the company is thriving first in the Mountain West. Some antagonism toward Washington institutions like the Mint is part of the region's history and culture. For the Mountain West News Bureau, I'm Will Walkie in Cheyenne, Wyoming.
0: Locals gathered last week at Suwannee City Park for the annual tree lighting event. In addition to the colorful lights, cookies, and hot cocoa, one of the main attractions each year is a guy with a white beard and a red suit. Local kids lined up to speak with this man, telling him what they are wishing for this holiday season. We were there and have this report from the line to see Santa. You know. We want a
1: pedal bike that's pink and purple. Oh, no. A pedal bike that is all the colors of the rainbow.
3: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> I'm a Queen pedal bike.
2: <laughs> so, these are we are triplets here. We want to move up from our Strider bikes. We're our first pedal bikes, huh? Thank
1: right you,
4: buddy. Thank you. Okay,
1: thank you. Okay, time. I have a I'm a, ch- a-, a white chocolate or a hag. Of horse hose, and and a Rubik's cube. It's, it's pretty much this pink. It's this pink Baby and purple Rubik's cube with some writing uh, on it. Oh. A wubble and a soft blankie and uh, Pokemon
0: and a um, uh, full face helmet. Hi there. What do you want from Santa this year? Uh, I want to know Zoro's and the tap. Can you say what that is? It's a Jurassic Park
1: little set. Yeah, and there was even this toy tap one
0: with a remote control. I want Moana. I want uh, Monster
1: High. All of their friends. A Bendy controller. Uh, buddy. Moses Moses. I'm a Bendy. Moses Mosasaurus, i want A Barbie Dreamhouse. Hey, Mikey. Mikey, hey, hey. what do you want for Christmas? Tell you in the microphone. A Hot Wheels. Um, I kind of want control a uh, control truck. Yeah. So I want a big helicopter with a little lookout station on top, and a little helicopter that's just a rectangle that's big enough for one five and a half girl, and one four and a half, um, and one. We um, five and three quarters girl and then uh, I went and then uh, it will have two little seats and a water thing and something you can store your backpacks in and then it will have a helicopter on top
0: and that's all. Thanks to the Moab kids who shared their wish list with us this holiday season. That audio comes from last week's tree lighting event at Swanee City Park. The Grand County Commission was back in session this week. So what happened at the meeting? What happened at the meeting? meeting?
4: meeting? meeting?
1: Whatever
0: happened at the meeting?
4: meeting? What uh, exactly happened at the meeting?
0: Maggie McGuire, editor of the Moab Sun News, answers.
3: At this week's Grand County Commission meeting, multiple members of the public spoke against an amendment to restrict aircraft takeoffs and landings to approved locations. The amendment, as written, was abandoned and commissioners said that they would talk to stakeholders and turn to the BLM to clarify its policy. The Historic Preservation Commission told a story of local military history. During World War II, a guard shack was built to protect a bridge across the Colorado River until a rock fall in 1942 killed one of the guards.
0: The group hopes to place a plaque at the site. And a public comment period on the 2023
3: draft budget will be open until December 14th. Details on the budget and a proposed cost of living increase for staff can be found on the county's website at
0: grandcountyutah.net. And that's what happened at this week's Grand County Commission meeting. This exercise in civics is a collaboration between KZMU News and the Moab Sun News. Find recaps of local government meetings at moabsunnews.com. You can watch these meetings on YouTube. Find Grand County, Utah and Moab City there. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters about their latest stories of the Moab area. This week, Grand County commissioners unveiled a proposed ordinance to ban takeoffs and landings of aircraft outside of approved areas. Backcountry flying is a growing hobby in the region, and the local aviation community came out in force to raise their concerns about the potential new rule. Justin Higginbottom speaks with Doug McMurdo of the Times Independent about their coverage.
4: Virtually everybody in Grand County that I'm aware of other than members of the Grand County Commission and administrative staff were caught a- unaware uh, for the second week in a row um, regarding a proposed ordinance uh, on aviation in airstrips. So I'll give you the cliff notes. There's 25 airstrips in Grand County uh, including Canyon Lance Regional Airport. And these are historic landing strips, and they're used by helicopters, airplanes, um, paramotor, paragliders, um, people who take to the skies. And the county has received noise complaints. Now, we really don't know how heavy uh, that is. That wasn't shared in the meeting. It wasn't shared. We do know that complaints have come from Castle Valley and Spanish Valley, but we don't know the number, the severity, How often? So that's kind of up in the air. Uh, In any event, uh, to address those noise concerns, uh, Commissioner Kevin Walker, I believe, uh, headed up an effort to uh, uh, rewrite land use codes and uh, limit um, where you can land and take off. And the reason why it's specific to takeoffs and landing is because that's the only legal authority the county might embrace. The FAA covers everything up in the air.
2: So once it's in the air, that's federal regulations? Yeah, there. they have
4: absolutely no control over that. That's that's all uh, FAA. How it got straight to the public hearing part without any community discussion is what took people off guard. Commission chambers were, were packed. There was a lot of people there. Interesting side note. Be, before the meeting, um, Commission Chair Jacques Hadler pleaded for uh, civility. He was talking about angry uh, Facebook postings and uh, incivility at recent meetings, and he just asked for calmness. The user group was there, it was the aviation community, and um, I don't know what impact Mr. Hadler's comments had on them, but they were very polite, they were very civil. Everybody followed the rules, and when their time was up, they quit talking, and so it was very productive when when you can have that kind of a meeting, but they were still upset, and the overriding theme, let's hit the brakes, let's take some time and talk about this, look at the data, look for compromise, everybody, you know, agrees that... um, Conservation and preservation are key. Why destroy the very environment that people flock to to enjoy? So the commission rightly agreed to uh, postpone the matter, and they did. Uh, Funny thing, Mary McGann, Commissioner McGann, uh, the vice chair, she announced that she was going to request that it be postponed when it came up for a vote later in the meeting. But this looks at at a bigger issue, and we were discussing this before we started recording, on November 28th, the the same identical thing happened with um, OHV businesses when they the Planning Commission suddenly had a public hearing on placing 200 foot noise barriers, uh, buffer zones on businesses that make noise. And that led to a packed commission meeting as well. And that, that was an eight. A- yes, it did. And that was an angry meeting. Um, that was an, there was a lot of anger expressed at that meeting um, from the OHV users. It kind of got out of hand because um, people were talking from their, uh, from their seat, you know, out of turn and on Zoom, people were, were uh, chiming in. So do we think the County is trying to push things through before a new commission, gathers in January, and that's one possibility. Another possibility, and I I thought this might be the case, is we know there's a lawsuit, OHV groups versus uh, the county and the city, and I think the county is um, trying to build a record that they're not targeting OHV businesses um, and discriminating against them specifically by addressing other noise concerns. A dog Kennel was mentioned uh, during the OHV meeting um, as a, a noise-making business, and now we're going after the aviation. And I know there has been complaints about flyovers, especially in, in uh, Castle Valley, and I imagine the sound in Castle Valley with low-flying aircraft. Probably a little bit bothersome. So um, I, don't, I don't discount the complaints. And it does seem like we have a lot more flying over. But one man commented when he's on a hike and he looks up and he sees a low-flying aircraft, um, he knows that the noise is going to go away when the aircraft does. And they're just like him. they are people out there trying to uh, uh, enjoy what Moab has to offer. And I think that's a real healthy outlook so they're postponing that they're going to chat with the blm and
2: these aviation groups
4: yeah and that's i think that i missed probably missed the key point here thank you for bringing that up kevin walker made it clear that the whole idea is to force the bureau of land management to create its own policies if it ha- already has policies in place to um you know act on them and if not create some policies so so that it can happen
2: uh what else do you have on the front page here
4: Okay, I went to the uh, the first of three housing fairs from the the uh, Housing Coalition, Moab Housing Task Force, and I sat in on the first hour. It was a roundtable discussion with uh, local builders and businesses and the struggles that they're having, and it was really uh, pretty eye-opening because there's, there's a lot of things. Um, you've got the usual suspects, governmental red tape, and um, all the hoops that you have to jump through in order to develop. But the the real thing that I think that is kind of a harbinger for for the future is there, there's a profound lack of land on which to build. There's just not a lot of available land, so um, I think that might be an issue. But there there were some, you know, it was it was a, I felt it was a productive conversation. Mostly, it was like people really looking for solutions because, as Howard Trenholm said, from Red Rock Bakery, employers are starting to poach employees from other businesses. It's it's gotten so dramatic. And that, that kind of atmosphere can really create a lot of hostility, a lot of hard feelings. And uh, who gets caught in the middle? Those employees, the very employees who are struggling to, to keep a roof over their head are being used as pawns. So, um, you know, there's a lot of Concentric circles, you know, like you throw that pebble in the in the in the lake, and it just spreads. And and you know, the the county commission and uh, city council, to a lesser extent, they they take a lot of hits uh, from from us in the media and, and from the public at large. But I got I got to applaud them, uh, both them and the business community. Um, the effort I mean, they get an A for effort. And I think I think there's enough people out there that are really sharp and can. Uh, I, it's such a cliche, but I'm going to say it anyway. Think outside the box. I think they'll keep chipping away until something happens, or maybe some other city will figure out the magic. Uh, the magic approach, and we can uh, adapt that without making too many changes. Yeah,
2: some local government out there will will discover some innovative solution that yeah. hopefully we can copy. Um, great. W- what else do you have?
4: Finally, I think we should probably talk about the student lunch debt. During COVID, USDA gave school districts a waiver on charging kids for lunches. So for two years, they had free lunches. And this year, uh, that, that waiver was not renewed. And it was time for uh, parents to start paying for lunches again. And so far in this academic school year, over $22,000 in unpaid lunch debt has been accrued. And uh, an approach that they're taking uh, trying as they try to educate parents and, and let them know what's going on, uh, they've got a uh, giving tree that they're going to put up at the uh, Moab Copy Center. And people can go in and give anywhere from uh, ten to a hundred. I'm sure you can give more than a hundred if you want, but you got to give a. You know, they're asking for at least ten dollars and help um, across the board help reduce that school lunch debt for you know every for every student, um, regardless. That that's one point. The other point is you know when when wages were increased in Moab because they couldn't find employees, so they were forced to to offer higher wages. The um, school district, it turns out, erroneously assumed that fewer um, students would qualify for free or reduced lunch, and actually that number increased uh, simply because I'm sure it's the affordability of, of Moab. Be that as it, as it may, it's I think half of the 800 kids in the district are getting free or reduced lunches. Oh, wow.
2: So either go to the Moab Copy Center um, and check out this giving tree or, or check out the website. Yes, and you can give there. that's it.
0: Doug McMurdo, editor at the Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at MoabTimes.com. Two hunters were caught caging a bear in the La Salles and then repeatedly chasing the animal with hounds in 2018. While bear hounding is popular and legal in Utah, those hunters broke state rules and were charged. The Utah Division of Wildlife Resources will revise their bear hunting regulations next year. Justin Higginbottom speaks with Rachel Fixen of the Moab Sun News about what reforms the Grand County Commission would like to see in light of that 2018 crime. At
3: the commission meeting, they ratified a letter to the Division of Wildlife Resources, and they're asking for kind of a stronger and more clear language around uh, rules for pursuing bears. So there's lots of different kinds of permits you can get to hunt or pursue and not kill black bears in Utah. And the LaSalle's is a unit where um, hound hunting is popular. So you, you know, you train a pack of hounds and they'll chase a bear and either chase it into a tree or a corner in some other way you know you can get a different permit where you might take the bear or you might um, call off your hounds and you're just either training the dogs or it's sport but there are rules to to prevent like excessive suffering for animals like it's animal cruelty is not okay (laughs) Um, and obviously there's lots of opinions about you know whether hunting is animal cruelty but um, the division of wildlife resources does have rules that you can't have your dogs like harassing a bear after it's cornered or at bay um, and you can't pursue the same bear more than once. Um, And there was a case in 2018, two hunters in the La Salles uh, did both of those things and video of it uh, reached the Division of Wildlife Resources. So those two hunters were uh, prosecuted and convicted of misdemeanors. Um, but I think a lot of folks were disappointed that they weren't convicted of a felony mm-hmm. and wanted to see stronger language, uh, in the hunting regulations that would say, uh, you can't pursue a bear to exhaustion even, even one time. Um, mm-hmm. cause in the language, it makes it sound like it's, it only matters if you do it twice. <laughs> right. <laughs> it- and those were
2: out of state hunters, right? If I remember
3: That's another aspect of it where one of them was an in-state hunter and then another was a Florida hunter. And there are, I'm not super familiar with all the nuances of when out-of-state hunters are allowed to get a bear permit. But there are, you know, tighter restrictions if you're not a Utah resident. Um, There's fewer opportunities to get a permit. But you can kind of get through that loophole if you're with a Utah resident who has Uh, a permit.
2: Because, yeah, it's it's a draw for people around the country where um, bear hunting might not be legal or hounding might not be legal. I think Utah, and especially this corner of Utah, is, is quite popular with that.
3: Right, right. Yeah, if there's um, tighter restrictions in other states, it would be, you know, attractive for other folks to come to Utah to, to be able to do that sport.
2: And what, what, what's next? Do you guys have this week?
3: Um, Another thing they talked about at the commission that I thought was really interesting um, is the Historic Preservation Committee wants to put a plaque on a boulder next to the bridge over the Colorado. And I'd heard this story before, um, and I kind of looked into it a little bit more after they talked about it at the commission meeting. Um, During World War II, there was a program uh, where the military would post guards at sort of key infrastructure locations inside the United States. Um, which was kind of, you know, a fun new fact for me. I didn't I didn't know about that. And uh, actually the bridge over the Colorado, just north of town, was one of those key locations. And there were three Moab locals who would take shifts guarding the bridge and making sure, you know, safe transport across. And uh, one of them actually was killed when a huge boulder fell and just crushed the guard station. And he was inside, which is just, you know, kind of a interesting and strange piece of local history um
2: very unlucky for to be like next to the cliff when a boulder's rolling down but then also to have your your you know guard location set up right where the rock's going to land
3: right right it's like needle in a haystack situation um and
2: we were saying that 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 might count as a casualty of world war ii then
3: i yeah i would be very interested to to find if that's listed as a as a war casualty, um, because I, I do think that was a military program, so he would have been like in service. Right. Um, but anyway, the the committee wants to put a a boulder kind of summarizing that um, little piece of local lore, and uh, the commission was excited to approve that.
2: Great. Yeah, that's a fascinating piece of Moab history. What else do you have this week?
3: One other story we have this week uh, was definitely a tragic one. There's a, a longtime Moab Moab local, uh, Joel Nyström. He is a general contractor and a musician, and um, a, a big part of his property where he lives was totally destroyed by a fire um, about a week ago, and it was right after his birthday, actually, very oh, no. unwelcome birthday present. Um, he has a GoFundMe page set up. It's uh, if you Google Moab beloved musician, um, you should find it and just you know six instruments were destroyed a whole bunch of his tools that he uses for his profession were destroyed a lot of uh building materials that he'd been collecting to start building his own house were destroyed um so yeah just really a a painful story and uh hopefully community can come together to help him out
2: yeah where was that fire And and does he know how it started
3: it's unknown how it started um they you know the fire department showed up and and put it out and i think uh you know, once there's a threshold of destruction that's been crossed, it's very difficult to, you know, figure out right. how something like that started. So it's unknown how, how it began. It's kind of on the south side of town on a, on Lemon Lane.
2: Okay, yeah. So if anyone wants to help him out, go to that GoFundMe page. We'll link to that.
3: Uh, yeah, another um, thing that we... we had in this week's paper um our reporter Allison Harvard talked with uh Wynn Bloodworth who's a new uh, employee with Moab Solutions our local nonprofit um which focuses on both recycling and homeless outreach um so Wynne is kind of the new on-the-ground homeless outreach person. Um, he's doing a walkabout every day and uh, checking on folks and seeing what they need, um, seeing if they need maybe some warm layers, um, a meal, or if he can direct them to one of our social service organizations like the Multicultural Center or uh, Four Corners Behavioral Health. Um, so he's just building those relationships and trying to be a friend and a, and a kind of conduit to other resources.
2: Great yeah and Sarah Melnikoff has run moab solutions for for a while that's great she has she has some help and um especially I, I think homelessness has been a growing issue, i guess in the county. would you say?
3: yeah, I think that's correct, and uh you know, I think a big angle of our ongoing housing crisis is trying to get more information about homelessness and also have better understanding among the public of sort of the nuances of homelessness. So um, folks that work in this field will sort of differentiate between people who are chronically homeless and people who are circumstantially homeless, and there's sort of different, you know, qualifiers to define those. But the idea is that some people are maybe homeless just because, you know, maybe their trailer got Bought and they were evicted, and there's just nowhere in our market here to go. And then there are other people that are chronically homeless, like maybe they have ongoing uh, mental health issues or something that really um, is creating an obstacle for them to find stable housing aside of just our housing market. So yeah, I mean, I'd say it's a growing problem locally, and also, you know, I think, I mean, Sarah Melnikoff has been doing this for so long as kind of a one-woman show, and uh, yeah, it's great that she has somebody else to uh, to be on her team. Rachel Fixin, reporter at
0: the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find the pieces that were mentioned today in the show notes at our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News podcast. As always, thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU. Community-powered radio.